What are you waiting for? It's what I heard this week on a car dealership radio driving around in the car. I don't know if it was Conicelli or Fred Beans or Kia of Westchester, I have no idea. But that question's been in my head all week. What are you waiting for? And what they meant was, our our deal is so good, why don't you rush down right now because what are you waiting for? But that isn't how I took it this week. Thinking about Advent, I found myself asking, what am I waiting for? I mean, literally, what am I waiting for? So as this is a season of Advent, and as as Sam uh, lit the third Advent candle, as we slowly, or maybe quickly, move towards uh, Christmas Day, I want to allow us for just a few minutes, normally we have a time of story, but I want to allow us a chance to respond to that. Take a moment to think, what are you waiting for? I mean, I look at Darcy. I mean, Matt and Darcy are waiting for something very exciting, a baby. They're expecting. But what are you waiting for? What did you wait for this week? And feel free to share. What are you waiting for? Huh. Salvation for your family. Hmm. What are you waiting for? Sorry? What? More grandkids. More grandkids. Yeah, good. Yeah, clear direction in ministry. Yeah. Yeah, Bob. There's a hunger and an expectation to see those we love grow in wisdom and grace with the Lord. Huh, yeah. Those we love to grow in wisdom and grace with the Lord, yeah. Now, I was talking with um, someone about your age this week who was praying and waiting for. Uh, what they described to be wayward children, um, making some very poor decisions. They're just waiting for the light bulb to come on and some sense to come to this person <laughs> to make wise decisions moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, what else? What else are you waiting for? Your hair would grow back. <laughs> Looks like it already has. <laughs> Yeah, what else? Sorry? Hoping your legs will improve. Yeah. Yeah. Several of us are waiting for better health. When I look at Kirsten, her her leg. Probably waiting for full health. Yeah. 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 Braxton to speak. Hmm. An honor to speak, yeah. 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 I think, uh, I think about over the last handful of months, um, people have told me what they're waiting for, and they are in line with a lot of what was shared just a moment ago. They're waiting for a spouse, a report from the doctor that the 
Waiting leaves us anxious. Grades back from a teacher or professor. A different career. I'm waiting to find out. One person told me if I still have a job next month. You can learn a lot about a person by the way they answer that question, what are you waiting for? You know, reveals hopes and uncertainties and fears and priorities. What dominates their mindset? And, six, and since the 6th century, the church has identified the four Sundays before Christmas as a time of anticipating and remembering uh, the coming of the Christ child, but also waiting, ultimately waiting for His return. And I'm just so grateful that Advent wasn't invented in the last decade. I mean, this is a tradition we enter into that's 1,500 years old. Advent is about waiting, and waiting can be really hard, can't it? Because sitting in the waiting room of life is not a fun place to be. So what are we waiting for? So today, as we participate in Advent, I want you to pull out your Bibles, and I want you to turn to a place in your Bibles that I would guess, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were a betting man, I would guess would be a place you've never been asked to turn in your Bibles before. In fact, if you have a smartphone, I don't even think it exists. Okay? But if you have a, uh, have a Bible, I, I think it does exist. I want you to turn to the page that's right before Matthew chapter 1 and the page that's right after Malachi chapter 4. Right before Matthew 1 and right after Malachi 4. And again, if you have that in your Bible app, I'd be shocked. But someone with a, hard, with a hard copy, tell me, what is, what is that page? Anybody have it? It's blank. Yeah, anybody ever, uh, ever been in a, a teaching where you've been asked to turn to this page? I actually want to teach on this page for a moment. I want to teach on this page because this is really important. In fact, I think that's very Adventy. And here's what I mean by this. That piece of paper, again, sometimes blank, sometimes says New Testament. Josh Lindstrom, Lindstrom reminded me uh, this week that that one page represents what is called the intertestamental period. I mean, that's a fancy phrase. But it just means what happens between the Testaments. What happened at the end of the Old Testament, but before the New Testament started. Okay. In other words, between the Testaments, do you realize that that period of time, wherever that slide is, that period of time, that one page in your Bible, okay, this one page represents 400 years. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I would think this is like maybe a couple years between the old and the new. That's 400 years of work. And historically, a lot happened. In fact, at the end of the Old Testament, when Malachi chapter 4, the minor prophet, when he stopped writing, Persia was the world superpower. 400 years later, Matthew chapter 1, Rome is the superpower. A lot happened. In history. But here's the problem. When Malachi stopped his writing, what were the prophets doing for those 400 years? The answer is, they weren't doing much at all. To many, in this period of time, God seemed silent and uninvolved in the course of history. That means several people lived their entire lives 
feeling that God was completely absent and silent. They were anticipating God who promised to rescue His people, but who in their own experience seemed to be forgetting His people. They believed that God was going to do something great in the future, but they were stuck living in this quiet, silent period. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. 400 years. And maybe it hasn't been 400 years for you, but I wonder if you can relate to this. That same longing and desire for God to do something, to rescue and to change your circumstances. And if you think about it, there have been a lot of difficult global issues this year. In fact, a, a few have wondered in discussion with me, has this been like a harder year for the world than normal? I mean, the unrest in Russia and Ukraine seems so long ago, but that was this year. Malaysian Airlines still cannot be found. Ebola outbreak in West Africa and the fear of its spread in the U.S., tensions in Iraq and Syria, ISIS and the persecution of Christians and the Christian church in the Middle East, Ferguson, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Boko Haram, growing tension between Israel and Hamas, and of course, everything related to the Phillies and the 76ers. Right? But closer to home, and maybe not a long a period of time as 400 years, but God seems maybe silent to your story. Maybe for you it's been an awful year. Maybe this is the first year since the death of a close friend or a family member. Someone told me recently, this is the first, time, first year without mom. It's going to be tough. Or maybe this, this Christmas is the first time that your parents aren't going to be together. Or maybe the first Christmas without a job. Or maybe it's filled with confusion and disappointment and dryness and headache and heartache and loneliness like you've never experienced before. And personally, even closest to home, this has been a difficult year for Renew. There's been a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of pain and disappointment. People struggling, health issues, a lot of conflict. And it's weighed heavily on our leaders. And to be really truthful, this has been a difficult year for me personally. In fact, it's fair to say it's been the most difficult year since we started our church. It's felt like a lot of heaviness and a lot of wilderness and a lot of darkness for me. And, uh, and Doug and I are completely unified, which is one of, the, one of the blessings of this year. But Doug and I have said to each other, as we prayed, God, do something. God, change this. We need your help. Because we long for a change. We long for relief. We long for some rescue. And again, maybe you felt like you've waited long enough and you've had enough. And if God feels silent to you, and if you feel like He isn't involved in your life and the world like He should be, that He isn't doing enough, If that's what you're feeling right now, it's fertile soil for us to experience Advent as it was intended to be experienced. If that's you right now, this is a beautiful time to use the training wheels of Advent to learn to ride with Jesus. In fact, if that's what you feel, if you just said, man, Jer, that's me, that's been my year, this is going to be hard in your app, (laughs) but if you have your Bible... 
on that blank page that says New Testament, write your name right now. Write your name, write the date, and write God do something. And just write down what you long to see God do. It's okay to write in your Bible. No one's going to beat you up, by the way. It's okay to do that. Don't let anyone tell you you can't mark up your Bible. But feel free to take out a pen and to just write your name and the date and God do something and list some areas where you long for God to intervene. The Christmas story, as we know, is found in the book of Luke, uh, specifically Luke 2, which we're going to look at in just a moment. And Luke wrote this volume for a guy named Theophilus. And it's so that Theo would be able to know what is true. He needed a a record of what was absolutely and actually true. And maybe that's you this year. Maybe you have more doubts this year than any other time. God, I don't even know what's true anymore. Well, that's why the book of Luke was written. And maybe that's you. You need to know what is true. So imagine that God was silent for 400 years and you're longing and waiting for God to show up and do something to rescue, to change, to at least intercede and do something so we know that you care. And imagine praying that, God, show up. God, rescue. Why have you been so quiet? So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. As you think about this blank piece of paper in the New Testament that we just looked at. I want to give you a a little bit of background as you're turning there. You know, I love background and showing the culture and the history and the geography. So we're going to do a little bit of that uh, so that this passage can mean that much more to us. So as you know, there was this the temple in Jerusalem. I think the slide was up already. This is a model. You can see those little tiny ants. Those are representing people. This is an artist uh, rendition of what we read about in the Old Testament of how it was to be constructed. You see the Jerusalem hillsides in the back. That's probably the Mount of Olives there in this, in this model. And you see the outer ring is where Gentiles could be. You see there's a, um, this, this area here was the, the court of women. Right, And only Jew and Jewish men could be in this area. And then only priests could be in this area. And then high, the, the priests here. And then only the high priest could go in one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to, uh, to pay for the sins, to ask God to forgive the sins of the entire nation of Israel. But it was always full of activity. It was never closed. There's commerce there. There's gatherings there. The early church met there around the colonnades, around the borders. Um, so this was a, a center of, of life and activity. Now, if you were to have a son and a son were to be born, according to Old Testament law, on the eighth day, you would circumcise this son, according to law. Some of that was hygiene. Some of that was just it was, it was a spiritual symbolism of dedicating this child to the Lord, that he's one of uh, the chosen people of Israel. And as they would do that, a name would be given on that eighth day. You didn't pick out a name ahead of time and keep it from mom and dad and have the big reveal when they're born. No, no, no. You didn't know what your, your child's name would be, would be until the eighth day. And the reason being is your name was your destiny. It's what you were to become, what you were to live into. And so, as a mom and dad, you would watch and you would observe for a whole week the personality of your child. You say, man, they've got strong lungs. Holy cow, are they loud when they cry. We pray they grow up to be the strong one. So they'd pick a name that meant the strong one. Or, wow, she's so patient. We pray that she would have a gracious presence. So they pick a name that meant gracious presence. So names meant something. So Mary and Joseph are there. Jesus is born. Now they were, they were different because they were given the name ahead of time of what he would be called. 
But on the eighth day, officially they decide, when he was circumcised, they decided to give him the name Jesus. Yeshua, or it comes from Joshua, Yeshua, that means he saves, which makes total sense, right? Of course, he's going to live into his name. He's going to become his name. Now, in addition to eighth day and circumcision, there was something that happened 40 days after birth. According to Old Testament laws, a woman had given birth 40 days prior. She would then, after 40 days had passed, would take a sacrifice to the temple. And the sacrifice included a lamb and a pigeon, or a dove, or, if you couldn't afford it, two pigeons or two doves. If you couldn't afford a lamb, there was something in it that said, poor people, if you can't afford a lamb, then just two pigeons, which could be bought for just a few pennies. So there were provisions in there if you were poor. Now, coming from the Galilee region, Nazareth and the Galilee region, to Jerusalem is about a two and a half hour drive. But if you were to walk by foot, which is what they would have done in the first century, would be a two to, if you were quick, two and a half, maybe three day walk. So you see up in the Galilee region, here coming, they would come all the way down to the Jerusalem area here. Many people, many Jews who hated Samaritans would not go through Samaria. So what would they do? They would cross over the Jordan River, they would come down here, and then come up to Jerusalem. Adding extra time. That's how much they hated them. I don't care if it adds an extra day. I'm not going to go through Samaria. Because they're Samaritans. So, you would travel down, you'd secure a lamb and a pigeon or dove, or two pigeons or two doves if you couldn't afford it, You would make a sacrifice 40 days after birth, a purification ceremony with the priest there in the temple. You'd turn back around and you'd head home. You'd head home. Now, as you've turned to Luke chapter 2, I want to invite Brianna Phelps up. She's going to read for us uh, verses 22 to 40. So I want to encourage you to turn there if you're not there already. Should be on now. Very good. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph, and Mary, took, Joseph and Mary took him to, the, to Jerusalem to present, present, present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not only that, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple's courts, where the parents brought in the child Jesus to pray for him with the custom of the law required. Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of the Lord people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what has been said about him. 
Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, prophet Anna, the daughter, daughter of well, yeah. of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the, Christ, the grace of God was on him. Great. Well, I want us to thank you, Brianna. I want us to look uh, through these passages. So let's go back to verse 22. What do we hear that Mary and Joseph brought for sacrifice? Two birds. Where's the lamb? Why did they only bring two birds? Because they were poor. We don't have to guess whether Mary and Joseph were poor. We know as a fact they were lower class. By the way, it says two pigeons or two doves. Some of your translation, does anybody have some of it says two turtle doves? Turtle doves? Which look very similar to pigeons, by the way. Where else do we talk about turtle doves this time of year? Maybe the only other time we talk about turtle doves in a given year, right? On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. You think that's a coincidence? Do you know the story? You know the, the story behind that song? Rich spiritual language in that song. It's not just a silly song. By the way, partridge resting in a pear tree... Who is that? Jesus resting in a manger. Isn't it interesting what would happen later as we think about Jesus being brought up to the temple three decades later? A lamb would be sacrificed for the purification, wouldn't it? So we know Mary and Joseph, we know as a fact that they were lower class citizens of Israel. No wonder Jesus cared about the poor because He was one. So they're at the temple and they're doing what any good Jewish family would do 40 days later, the purification, and they meet a man named Simeon. And it says that Simeon is righteous and devout. I wonder if he walked around, I am righteous and devout. Or if other people said that about him. We're not sure. If he did that, I'm sure he'd be very humble, but he's righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. And there's that unique phrase in there that Brianna read. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, we don't use the word consolation very much, do we? Consolation is what? Like a consolation prize? You didn't win, but we don't want you to go home crying, so here you go, right? Consolation game in the tournament. You're not the champion, but you can play for third place. 
right? It's the feel-good thing, right? It's to console someone, right? Comfort perceived by a person or received by a person who has experienced deep disappointment. That consolation prize. So if you were to ask Simeon, what we asked at the beginning, what are you waiting for? It'd say, I'm waiting for some comfort. I've been waiting for 400 years, just like everyone else in the nation. That's what I'm waiting for. And not just me, that's what everyone in the nation of Israel is waiting for. That would have been an obvious answer to that question, because everyone would have answered the same way. And it reminds me in Isaiah 40, which I think we read either last week or, or the week before. Right? Consolation means comfort, right? So Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort. Yeah, after the year we've had in 2014, the world could use some of that right now. Yeah, some of us could use that right now. And very personally, I could use some of that right now. And waiting often means that what we really want is comfort, assurance, consolation. So Simeon, in verse 26, you'll see there, he has this vision. Right? This vision from the Holy Spirit, this promise, which is really interesting because if you look in Luke 2, the story of Jesus' birth, the announcement of His birth, it's filled with all sorts of visions and dreams and promptings and words from the Holy Spirit. It's all over the place. It's multiple times, right? Joseph has dreams from the Spirit. The wise men have dreams. Simeon now has a vision from God. The Holy Spirit was present all through His coming arrival. And it was this. It was this word from the Spirit. Simeon, this 400 years of waiting, guess what? You won't die until you actually see the comfort that I've promised you. And you talk about a vision. Woo! 400 years of waiting and the Spirit says to Simeon, guess what? You're not going to die like your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents who never saw the consolation. You're going to see it. Who knows how long he had had that? Who knows how old Simeon is? By the way, names are important, right? Names have meaning. They're your destiny. So it should come as no surprise that Simeon means something. Simeon and Simon, closely related, means he has heard No surprise there. (laughs) He has heard something. He absolutely has heard something. He's heard something significant from God. And he was prompted to go to the temple in Jerusalem where Mary and Joseph just happened to be there, just happened to be there when they went to the temple with Jesus. And Simeon, realizing who this is here in the temple courts, walking around, he says, God... You've fulfilled your promise to keep me alive until this moment. And I just would love to be there to watch this, how how emotional he might have been. And he said, you've kept me alive to see the Messiah. And he says, I can go. You can take me. That's all I've waited for. And he's here. I can die if you want me to, God. I'm ready. What a prophecy that he then gives to Mary and Joseph. 
He says, some people in Israel will rise and fall, but he'll bring joy to a lot of people. He's a sign from God, but many are going to oppose him. How about that for a prophecy? I mean, Mary already knew what kind of difficult baby she had. She'd heard some of this before already. Even her Magnificat, the song that Mary sings, is, man, she was feisty. Mary is feisty. And then verse 36, in addition to Simeon, while they're already there, they meet someone else. They meet a woman named Anna. And the text says that Anna was a prophet. She was a prophetess. And there were other women prophets in the Bible. We see Miriam and Deborah, Hulda, the daughters of Philip. And God uses these women to speak and to lead God's people towards God's heart. And Anna was one of them. And it says that she was old. And your Bibles say that she was married for seven years and widowed for 84 years. So if she was married off as a young teenager, which would have been normal in the first century, illegal today, but normal in the first century, that means that Anna would have been over 100 years old. And life expectancy in the first century, I mean, she was a rare bird. Widowed, this little old, little old lady Anna. She worshipped and she fasted and she prayed all the time. In fact, if the, the temple had lots of rooms in it for multiple usage, usages. And it might have been that Anna as a widow would have been allowed to live humbly in one of those rooms there. So when it says that she was there all the time, it might have been quite literal that she was there all the time. Regardless though, she was there a lot. If you were at the temple, chances were pretty good that you'd see little old Anna there worshipping her God. And she spoke openly to others about who this baby Jesus was and how he would impact history. You know this waiting you all have been doing? You know this waiting? Guess what? I met him. And she began to tell other people about this baby. Now, Anna is closely connected to the word Hannah, just like Simeon and Simon. Now, who was Hannah? 1 Samuel 1 and 2 says that Hannah was waiting, longing for the coming of the Son. Luke, like a good author, would want us to go, Oh, Anna, Hannah, woo, look at that connection. There's a longing, a yearning for the coming of the Son that would change history. And Anna says, As a result, the deep thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, for those of us who've had experiences with Jesus, you might say, Yep, <laughs> that's happened to me. Man, my deepest thoughts have been just totally laid bare by this person to Jesus. And he's so been, he's been so close to me, sometimes it even hurts. He's just laid me bare, just pierced my soul. My heart's been ripped open. So what are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What feels like an eternity of waiting for you? Those difficult times require a lot of faith for me. How much faith did it take for Simeon to say, I think that's from the Spirit. I hope that's not bad pizza from the night before. But that's a big, big vision from God. To believe that vision. 400 years and all of a sudden I have a vision from God that guess what? God hasn't been silent. And that piece of paper and our Bibles that have been blank are about to be written with all sorts of redemptive news. 
And here's what I was reminded of this week in the midst of a tough season for me personally. That he said he'd come, and he did. He said he'd save people, and he did. He said that he'd rise again, and he did. And he said he'd come back. So he will. And I love the fact that God and his character and his nature, God is the God who keeps his promises to Simeon. God is the God who uses little old widows like Anna in significant ways to tell people about this Christ child. And I'm also grateful that God is the God who said he would comfort us in our waiting. And he will. I want to pray here in just a moment, but I know because I know some of your stories. I know you have talked to Doug and I about this difficult season that you're in. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you, I want to pray very, I want to pray for everybody. I want to pray very specifically for some of you who are really hurting. You're in that hard season of waiting. It could be health. It could be finances. It could be uncertainty. It could be relational tension. It could be, I don't even know who I am. But whatever that is, I want to pray very specifically for you because this is what Advent is about. Trusting that that blank sheet of paper won't stay blank forever. And I want to encourage you, if you need to this week, go back and look at that blank sheet of paper in your Bible and write on it if you need to. And say, God... I absolutely need you to show up because I don't even know if you're real anymore. I don't even know if being a follower of Jesus is worth it. I don't even, I just need to hear from you. I just need to know you haven't left me alone. And the great news is he promises he won't, but it takes great faith on our part to actually believe. So I want to pray for all of us, but I want to pray for you if in your heart you're nodding right now. God, um, I thank you for Simeon and I thank you for Anna. And I want to thank you for that blank sheet of paper in our Bibles, which is easy for me to say because I didn't have to live for those 400 years. But when all seem to give up hope and say, well, I... I guess he just doesn't care anymore. You explode onto the scene in the most unlikely of ways through a couple that couldn't even afford a lamb during the purification rites and had to bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. Thanks for using this poor family to bring about redemption for the whole world. And God, after... Intermission, when we come back and sing, there are going to be people that are going to be around this communion table that are going to say, God, I need you to show up. And I pray that this table here will be a beautiful reminder that you invite us to come and sit down with you. That you care, that you want to live up to your name, and you have lived up to your name, Yeshua. He saves. Some of us long for our names to be Simeon. He has heard or she has heard because we want to hear from you. Would you meet people today in the ways that they need? And Lord, if you're still silent to them, would they have the faith to not give up? Because we know when we give up, that's an unhealthy, 
hopeless place to be. Thanks for these stories. Thanks for these characters of Simeon and of Anna and what they teach us about Advent. It's with that that we pray. Amen. Amen.